Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. This is episode 751, my interview with Dean Ornish. Today, we're discussing his newest book, Undo It, How Simple Life Changes Can Reverse the Most Chronic Diseases. I hope you enjoy. Yo, guys, girls, what's cracking? How are you? Welcome to the Hidden Wire Podcast. I hope you're very well. It is a humid sort of muggy day here in the southeast coast of Queensland. Guys, today I'm bringing you an interview I did with Dean Ornish about his book, which is titled Undo It, How Simple Life Changes, Lifestyle Changes Can Reverse the Most Chronic Diseases. We don't go too into the thick of the scientific research. We just skim across the top and really we explore um, the four elements that he talks about that creates his theory on living a longer, healthy and even happier life. His research is scientifically backed, but what we really talk about is the four areas such as eat well, move more, stress less, and love more. And particularly, we focus on a plant-based diet. That's predominantly the most of the conversation. But then we talk about movement and how to stress less and meditation and things like that as well. Guys, it's a really cool conversation with Dean. I hope you enjoy it and I hope it gives you some value. Make sure you do check out and get a copy of his book. There's a lot more to it than what we discuss here today. So pick up a copy, support the show. You can do that by jumping on thehiddenwire.com episode 751 and using the links within. Also, he's got a lot of free resources at his website, uh, which is found in the show notes, ornish.com, I believe it is. So check that out as well. Guys, other than that, I hope you're having a kick-ass day. And thanks again, as always, for joining us here. If you love it, if you're liking what you hear, please leave us a review and uh, reach out to me directly, thehiddenwireguy at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers. Dean Ornish, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for including me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I was uh, looking forward to this conversation for the last few weeks now um, since we scheduled. So it's great to have you here. And um, yeah, looking forward to sharing your your learnings, your experiences, your your knowledge and your wisdom uh, with the audience and hopefully um, helping us all take away some lifestyle changes potentially today as well that might help you know improve our health and, and longevity and even happiness in life. Thank you. So, uh, Dean, tell us a little bit uh, about about your work. I mean, you've you've had a quite a fascinating career by the looks of it. Um, you've written several books as well, but um, yeah, just in a nutshell, Dean, tell us what got you into this sort of field of work. Sure. Well, for the last forty years, I've directed a series of scientific studies showing, for the first time, that simple lifestyle changes can actually not only help prevent but even reverse the progression of the most common chronic diseases. We started first with. Even severe heart disease could be reversed, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, even early stage prostate cancer. We found that when you change your lifestyle, it actually changes your genes, turning on the genes that keep us healthy, turning off the ones that tend to cause all these chronic diseases. Mm. And we found that when you change your lifestyle, it actually lengthens telomeres, the ends of our chromosomes that regulate how long we live. Uh, The more diseases we study and the more underlying mechanisms we look at, the more reasons we have to explain why these simple changes are so powerful and how quickly people can get better. And so I wrote a new book with my wife, Anne, called Undo It, which really uh, synthesizes our 40 years of work together and reduces So you work down- with your wife? Sorry? Yeah, we've been working together for 20 years, and we've been gotcha. able to, to – the book begins with a, one of my favorite quotes, which is from Albert Einstein, which says, if you can't make it simple, you don't understand it well enough. And so we tried to really simplify it down to its essence. And it comes down to eat well, move more, stress less, love more. Boom, that's it. And the more diseases we study, the more mechanisms we look at, 
the more reasons we have to explain why these changes are so powerful and how quickly people can get better in ways, not only that we can measure, but in, in, in terms of how they feel. Mm. I love that quote too. If you can't make it simple, you don't understand it well enough. It's true. And uh, I even present a, a unifying theory in this book that, you know, I'm a doctor and as most all doctors really were trained to view all these different chronic diseases as being fundamentally different from each other. Heart disease is different than diabetes or prostate cancer or whatever. But it turns out that I think that really the same disease manifesting and masquerading in different forms uh, because they all share the same underlying biological mechanisms, chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, changes in the microbiome, and telomeres, and gene expression, and so on. Hmm. And each one of these mechanisms, in turn, is directly influenced by what we eat, how we respond to stress, how much exercise we get, and how much love and support we have. And I'm continually surprised by, by how, um, how dynamic these mechanisms are, that our bodies often have this remarkable capacity to begin healing, and much more quickly than we had once realized, if we can really treat the cause. And you know, I, when I lecture, I sometimes show a cartoon that I had drawn of doctors busily mopping up the floor around the sink that's overflowing, but nobody's reaching over to turn off the faucet. And so like, how long do I have to mop up the floor? Like forever. Like well, <laughs> when, when people get put on drugs to lower their cholesterol, their blood pressure, their blood sugar, and they say the same thing, doctor, how long do I have to take these? The doctor usually says forever. It's like, well, why can't I treat the cause? And what we're finding is, of course, under your doctor's supervision, you shouldn't change your meds without uh, having someone supervising yeah. them. But in many cases, we're able we find that patients are able to reduce or even get off of many, if not all of these medications that they thought they'd have to take for the rest of their lives. They can often avoid having a stent or a bypass operation or having their prostate removed or whatever. And so I wrote this book in, in hopes of really empowering people with information that can really transform their lives for the better. And I think our unique contribution has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures to prove how powerful these very simple and low-tech and low-cost interventions can be and how quickly they can, you, can, you can feel better and show improvements in ways we can measure. Mm, yeah, it's interesting stuff. I think when you first look at those, those few key areas that you talk about, eat well, move more, stress less, love more, you know, to me, when I look at them, I mean, it's not rocket science. We, we know that we should eat well. We know that we should exercise and move and, and you know, stress isn't really good, doesn't make us feel good anyway. And, uh, yeah, relationships and love are very important things in life. But yet, whilst they're simple to look at and understand on that level, we, we don't. You know, these, these lifestyles that we lead now don't really um, align to those basic, simple fundamentals of life that well. Where, where or when did we, because by suggesting that we need to make some simple lifestyle changes, suggest that our lifestyles have either gone off track or have never been correct. Well, I think the biggest obstacle that most people have to change in their lifestyle, as you say, most people know these things are good for them. But they think that, well, how powerful could that be? You know, as you say, it's not rocket science. It's, you know, changing your lifestyle, eh, kind of boring. But, you know, drugs and surgery, that's pretty powerful, right? And I think our unique contribution, again, has been to use these very high-tech, expensive, state-of-the-art scientific measures to prove how powerful these simple changes can be. Many people are surprised to, to learn that you can actually reverse these diseases. They can often be an alternative to drugs and surgery. And many people think that if it's not a new laser, a new drug, or something really high-tech and expensive, it can't be that powerful. Or they'll see lifestyle changes as something that you do 
today to prevent something really bad from happening years down the road. And then you get in these false choices, like, am I going to live longer? Is it just going to seem longer? You know, if I, if I want to like have a really fun life, you know, that's filled with stress and I'm die early or have a boring sit under a tree, watch your life go by. And then those are false choices. In fact, precisely because these underlying biological mechanisms are so dynamic, when you make these changes to the degree that you make them, most people find they feel so much better so quickly it reframes the reason for making them from fear of dying or preventing something bad from happening to joy and pleasure and love and feeling good. And that's really what makes it sustainable. You know, James Cameron, the um, filmmaker, um, became went on a plant-based diet, which is what this is about, um, because he's not only a filmmaker, you know, did Terminator and Avatar and Titanic and all those great films, but also he's an explorer. And he realized that more global warming is caused by livestock consumption than all forms of transportation combined. And uh, and so he went on a plant-based diet nine years ago. He's got so much energy now that he's making avatars two, three, and four at the same time. <laughs> but, in, but there's this great scene. He made a movie called Game Changers that should, it came out in Sundance last year. It should be coming out in the next month or two. And it, it's basically, again, to, 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 to counter this idea, this myth that, you know, that you don't get enough protein on a plant-based diet and you're kind of a wimp. And so it follows these elite athletes who became Olympic, who raised their game, who became Olympic uh, medalists and uh, football NFL uh, superstars and mm. uh, mixed martial artists, national champions and heavyweight boxing champions and bodybuilders and so on by eating a plant-based diet that improved their performance. And I was one of the medical experts in the film and I, and I got to, um, to meet the number of the people who were involved in it. And there's this great scene with these three elite athletes in their mid-20s, and they gave them a single meat-based meal. And they that night, they had a urologist measure the frequency and the hardness of their erections, which is a normal human function guys have when we sleep is we have erections. And then they gave them, and it was grass-fed beef and organic chicken, really high-quality meat. Yeah. And then the next day, they did the same study, but they gave them one single plant-based meal instead of a meat-based meal. And what they found is after the plant-based meal, a single meal, they had three to 500% more frequent erections and 10 to 15% harder erections when compared to the meat-based meal, just after one meal. It's an interesting study, isn't it? <laughs> in fact, the film crew uh, became uh, went on a plant-based diet after shooting that. And what it illustrates is first how dynamic <laughs> these changes can be, how it, it can really make things better in ways that are really meaningful, and that you know your brain gets more blood, your, your sexual organs get more blood, but your brain gets more blood. You can think more clearly. You have more energy. You need less sleep. You can actually grow so many new brain neurons in just a month or so. Your brain can get measurably bigger. Your mm. skin gets more blood. You don't look as old. You can look 10 or 20 years older, uh, younger, I should say. Your, your uh, heart gets more blood. You can reverse heart disease. And so what you gain is so much more than what you give up, and you, that happens how quickly, within 24 hours. So it's not about just living longer, it's about living better, and what you gain, again, is so much more than what you give up and how meaningful that can be. Yeah, look, and I mean, that's a great place to start, too, with some of these simple lifestyle changes, but when we look at meat consumption, um, many of us have, have been brought up that way to eat meat and, and believe that it's, it's a part of the necessary diet. Um, and I'd argue that perhaps changing or, or taking meat out of our diet isn't really a simple change for a lot of people. It, it seems, you know, I mean, I've done it and I still eat some meat, but I've, I've certainly gone um, to a full plant-based diet as well. And I didn't find it too difficult once I got started, but just getting there, getting to that place and, and getting the mindset there um, didn't seem that easy. It didn't come that easy. 
Well, you know, I grew up in Texas, <clears throat> you know, the meat capital of the U.S., yeah. eating meat three or four times a day, mm-hmm. chilies, cheeseburgers, chalupas, whatever. And again, it's about what you gain is so much more than what you give up. Yeah. And I found that I, you know, I did it when I was 19, so I didn't have any diseases, but I felt better. I had more energy. I could think more clearly. My complexion, you know, in 19, I had acne. It went away. It all cleared up. And, and then I also learned that, again, what's good for you is good for the planet. Uh, it's so hard, hard to say, well, what can I do as one person about, about global warming? Well, something as primal as what you eat every day can make a, a huge difference. And then if it's meaningful, then, and then it's sustainable. And the other thing is it takes 10 to 14 times more uh, resources to make a pound of meat-based protein than plant-based protein. And so, you know, there's enough. No one need go hungry. Uh, uh, there's enough food to feed everybody on the planet. If more people just had even a meatless Monday or just moved in that direction, hmm. uh, you know, it, 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 it's a major cause of deforestation. There's nine billion cattle that get killed every year uh, worldwide, just to, and, and it's only growing. And you know, cattle are sentient beings, and what goes around comes around. So, I think when people realize that, first of all, you get all the protein you need without that that you all these chronic diseases that we think are just a part of natural aging, heart disease, diabetes, you know, in Australia as well as in the United States, <clears throat> about half the population is has diabetes and or prediabetes. And the complications of diabetes are horrible, you know, amputations and impotence mm. and heart attacks and strokes and kidney failure and blindness and so on. Yeah. And getting your blood sugar down with drugs doesn't work nearly as well as getting it down with lifestyle in terms of preventing these horrible complications. And so, again, when people realize that, again, if you're trying to reverse a life-threatening condition, it takes a lot to do that. That's the pound of cure. You really have to give it up. If you're just trying to stay healthy, lose a few pounds, get your you know, risk factors down, to the degree you make these changes, what matters most is your overall way of eating and living. So if you mm-hmm. indulge yourself one day, it doesn't mean you cheated or you've, you know, you're failed or you're bad. Just eat healthier the next. You don't have time to exercise one day, do a little more the next. You don't have time to meditate for an hour, do it for a minute. Whatever you do, there's a corresponding benefit. And then you start to connect the dots between what mm-hmm. you do and what you eat and how you feel. And you start to realize, oh, when I eat this, I don't feel so good. I feel kind of tired and sluggish and I eat a lot of fat and sugar and, and animal protein. When I eat a whole foods plant-based diet, I think more clearly. I have you know, better sex. I, I feel better. I smell better. I taste better. You know, I look better. <laughs> uh, and for many people, these are choices worth making, again, not just to live longer but to feel better. Yeah, right. So, and I think you're right. I mean, spot on. Like, it's how we feel and, and the rewards of that. And sometimes I think, um, you know, we're also immediate that we can't see through um, the immediate changes that might benefit benefit us a little bit longer term. But you know, adopting a plant based diet, I've heard some stories where um, people with chronic diseases have seen significant and very immediate. It would seem immediate um, changes just by adopting a, a plant based diet. Can you share some examples that you've seen? Yeah, well, if people go to my website, which is just uh, in the U.S., it's Ornish.com, yeah. we have you know dozens of video testimonials. But our work, what sets our work apart from everyone else's is that we're not just getting testimonials. We're actually doing hard science and measuring that their arteries get less clogged over time. That was thought impossible in people with heart disease, that the blood flow to the heart can improve in just a few weeks. People who had such severe angina or chest pain that they couldn't walk across the street without getting chest pain or make love with their partner or uh, go back to work or play with their kids within just a few weeks, sometimes a few days, are able to do all of those things. 
We find that many people, as I mentioned earlier, who are put, told on, put on these medications to lower their blood pressure, their blood sugar, their cholesterol, and told they have to take them for the rest of their life under their doctor's supervision, were able to get off them or reduce them. Yeah. We, uh, men who have early stage prostate cancer are often told they need to have either surgery or radiation. But it turns out that only about one out of 49 men benefits from those surgeries. The other 48 often are get maimed in the most personal ways because they're either impotent or incontinent or both. They're wearing a diaper or can't have sex for no real benefit at huge economic and huge personal costs. Hmm. Uh, but if the choice is between doing nothing and doing something, most guys who know they have a prostate tumor want to kind of get rid of it. And if the, But if there's a third alternative, we did the first randomized trial in collaboration with the chair of urology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and at University of California, San Francisco and California. And we found that these same lifestyle changes that could reverse heart disease, can reverse and reverse type 2 diabetes, can also slow, stop, or reverse the progression of men with early stage prostate cancer. Hmm. Um, we're, we're about to do the, and if it's true for prostate cancer, it'll likely be true for breast cancer as well. We're in the middle of doing a, the first randomized trial to see if we can actually reverse the progression of early stage Alzheimer's disease. And again, it's not like there was one diet and lifestyle program for this disease and a different one for that one. It's the same for all of them. It radically simplifies it because, again, they're really the same disease manifesting and masquerading in different forms yeah. because they all share these same underlying biological mechanisms, right. which in turn are directly influenced by these diet and lifestyle choices we make each day. Yeah, so look, eating a plant-based diet, I mean, there's certainly numerous benefits um, beyond you know, your immediate health um, that come from choosing that, that way of life. Um, starting. Well, why did you? Well, why, why did you do that? I'm just curious. Well, actually, and I was I was going to bring this up before, but um, for me, it wasn't something I grew up in a uh, steak restaurant. I've eaten steak all my life, and you know, big meat eating family. Um, and it was just through watching documentaries and and speaking with people like yourself, um, listening to other podcasts that um, mostly you know plant based advocates as well, and just that information, the continual information coming through. And I was open to the other side and the other arguments as well, and I still am. Um, but one just made more sense immediately. And, and one documentary that really ticked it off for me was um, uh, Cowspiracy, I think it was. Um, uh-huh. And they really showed, you know, the environmental impacts of eating cattle particularly have on the world and um, also, you know, the cruelty factor and things like that. Um, so that sort of changed it, but also how, how it made me feel. And I suppose once I started, it was probably more environmental than anything, once I started eating a plant-based diet, how I felt, you're right. Like I did feel more clear. I felt more energy um, and I felt better for it. Um, so that's that's sort of my progression. But it, it sort of comes down to anything in life. I think the more awareness uh, we have, the more information that we have, um, the more informed we are, we can make better decisions. Well, it's true. And that's why I really appreciate what you're doing here because to me, awareness is always the first step in healing. And you reach a lot of people with information that can really empower them to transform their lives for the better. That's yeah. what gets me out of bed every day. I mean, in my new book, Undo It, in the first chapter, I report on a, a guy who is a, heart, is a, a doctor himself who had a massive heart attack and his heart was pumping blood so poorly that he was told the only thing that could keep him alive was to get a new heart, a heart transplant. Yeah, well. And while and while waiting for a donor, he went through my program at uh, UCLA and in just nine weeks, his heart got so much better, he didn't need a heart transplant anymore. So mm-hmm. that's just, so when people say, oh, well, how powerful could lifestyle changes be? Well, pretty darn, pretty darn powerful. There's still you a lot know, of people out there with, like- with the whole meat eating thing. You know, there's the common things I get is, well, where do I get my protein from? Number one. The other one is that they believe that we are carnivores and that meat is a natural part of our diet and that the research behind um, 
not eating meat is is not substantial enough to be proven that it is um you know better for us our longevity um i mean what do you sort of counter with those well, there are lots of things people can tell themselves to justify what they're doing, but yeah. they're not true. <laughs> typically, <laughs> you know what, typically what we do I mean, generally when we're you know, proud, yes. of, yeah, proud of who we are and how we live. Yeah, Yeah. well, as human beings, we have a remarkable capacity to, uh, to delude ourselves. And as somebody once told me, the easiest person to con is yourself. But, you know, we've published research over the last 40 years in all the leading peer-reviewed medical and scientific journals, in the New England Journal of Medicine, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Lancet, Circulation, Proceedings in the National Academy of Sciences, on and on, showing that these same lifestyle changes can actually reverse all of these different conditions. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a diagram in my book that I um, copied from, with permission from the New England Journal of Medicine that shows what happens in your arteries on different diets. And on a whole foods plant-based diet, your arteries are clean. The blood is flowing normally. On a standard American diet or Australian diet, they're partially clogged. On a, you know, Atkins, ketogenic, paleo, whatever name, it's all the same, you know, high protein, high animal protein, high fat diet, they're severely clogged. And that's what it is. You know, I'd love to be able to tell people that, you know, pork rinds and bacon and sausage are health foods, but they're not. I suppose if the blood isn't flowing that well, that affects all our organs and how they operate and everything else. That's right. Whether it's your sexual function, whether it's your brain function, whether it's your how how old you look, you know, it, it all comes down to that. And so, and you know, when people say we've evolved that way, you know, our our teeth are are not like uh, carnivores, you know, which are mostly sharp, spiked teeth. Our intestinal tracts are much longer; they're much more like an elephant than like a uh, a lion. And if you say, well, vegetarians, you know, aren't strong enough, don't get enough protein, well, you know, look at the elephant, you know. Um, and that's why James Cameron made this Game Changers film, just to show that actually elite athletes who start to go on a plant-based diet actually perform at a much higher level. And mm-hmm. that's why you're, the late, you're finding many athletes now, you know, some of the – Jumping that way. You know, are, are, are eating that way. Some of the yeah. uh, Golden State Warriors, you know, the leading basketball team here in San Francisco, some of the NFL superstars like Tom Brady are eating mostly plant-based diets because they find it, you know, Tom Brady is now 43, just won the Super Bowl, hmm. uh, is in better shape than most people are in their 20s, uh, in part because he's found that a plant-based diet um, is uh, enables him to keep his youth and perform at a much higher level. Hmm. So it's just, it's, an, it's a myth that people tell themselves, but it, it's just that, it's not true. Yeah, the the, um, the guy I started listening to was Rich Roll. He's got the Rich Roll podcast, um, and he often interviews people like yourself. I don't know if you've been on his show, but um, yeah, certainly he's a yeah. big advocate for it. Well, Rich was uh, Rich was part of the Game Changers film. That's how we met, and oh, yeah. uh, I was on his podcast with my wife, and he's wonderful. But I mean, here's your guy; he's probably the fittest guy in the world, and this is how and and he's you know he's he he's. Uh, I don't know if he's late forties, early fifties, but you know he's the fittest guy in the world, and this is why. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the the carnival diet? I mean, this is something new that I know that Jordan Peterson, I think that's his name, Jordan Peterson, he's talking a lot about. He said he's you know just eating meat only, um, and that's changed um, you know the the health benefits for him and his family immediately. And a lot of people are jumping on that bandwagon. How do you you know approach that sort of argument? Well, you know, there's more and more evidence that it's it goes beyond just fat versus carbs. That animal protein itself. Uh, predisposes to greatly increasing the risk of the most common chronic diseases. It increases your risk of lethal prostate cancer by 250%. 
you know, by colon cancer, breast cancer, heart disease, diabetes, strokes are all much higher in guys who eat a lot of meat. Why is and that so, because of the the clogging of the arteries, et cetera, et cetera, or is it something in the animal protein that's different from protein found in, in plants? It's both. Plant-based protein is protective. Not only are you not getting the, the harmful part, when you go from a meat-based diet to a plant-based diet, you're getting a double benefit. You're not only not eating the animal protein, which harms you, but the plant-based proteins are actually protective. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier. These same mechanisms that cause all of these same chronic diseases hmm. are activated by, by animal protein, and particularly by red meat, uh, chronic inflammation, oxidative stress, changes in your microbiome, the 100 trillion cells that we have. Changes in, in uh, gene expression, turning on the genes that uh, make you get sick and turning off the ones that keep you healthy. Whereas we found when people went on, on my lifestyle program, which includes a whole foods plant-based diet, moderate exercise, so, uh, love and support, and various stress management techniques, that they're, um, you know, in, just, uh, in just three months, over 500 genes were changed, <clears throat> turning on the genes that keep you healthy turning off the genes, particularly the oncogenes that promote prostate, breast, and colon cancer. Hmm. And so, you know, you can lose weight by um, eating fewer, you know, an Atk I mean, I debated Dr. Atkins many times before he died. And, you know, when he died, someone published his autopsy report, which showed that he had massive heart disease, you know. You can lose weight by eating less, you know, uh, refined carbs, but you want to replace it with good carbs, fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and soy products, not with pork rinds and bacon and sausage. I mean, you can lose weight in lots of ways that are good for you, like smoking cigarettes is a good way to lose weight. Amphetamines, you know, chemotherapy is a good way to lose yeah, yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah. But you want to lose weight in a way that enhances your health yeah. rather than one that harms and mortgages it. Hmm. And that, well, they say singular food groups too. If we just ate one thing all the time, our body becomes more used to that. Well, you also start to smell bad, you know, and taste bad. I mean, hmm. if you're around anyone who's been on a keto or an Atkins or paleo diet, they, they smell bad because that's how your body gets rid of toxic substances is through your skin, through the pores of your skin. Hmm. You know, if you... Uh, yeah, I certainly noticed a bit of difference there. I've always had a bit of an odor problem. So. Talk, talk to women who've had sex with different men and they'll tell you that men who um, eat meat don't taste good. You know, they, they don't smell good. You know, they don't... It's, you know, whereas plant-based guys really taste good. You know, I... I, I used to consult with some of the big food companies. I said, you know, that would be a really nice, edgy uh, way of marketing your healthy products. You know, get, get, a, get a, a woman on there to say, you know, when I perform oral sex on my guy, he really tastes a lot better, you know, when, he's, when he would move to a plant-based diet. But they, 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 they weren't quite ready for that. <laughs> One day. Um, and, and the other the thing, you're just going back to something you said about um, our digestive tract, et cetera. One argument I hear often is that um, our body isn't uh, adapted to eating a lot of plants and a lot of plants we can't digest that well. Um, and, you know, then they bring up the, you know, white cows have um, so many stomachs, et cetera, and we have just the one. Um, what is, can you get, share a little bit of insight there about our digestive system and, and why it is suitable for plant-based products over meat? Well, again, carnivores have very short digestive tracts because meat tends to um, ferment and be toxic in your body. Uh, so uh, we have very long digestive tracts like, like herbivores, like elephants do, hmm. because it takes more time for your uh, body to, to, to absorb uh, plant-based nutrients and it pushes them through. People who eat a lot of meat are generally uh, constipated and that, and that yes. just... It just, you, not only do you have all these things that are toxic, but they tend to putrefy in your gut. That's why you have an increased risk of colon cancer. The World Health, Organi World Health Organization reviewed all of the world's scientific literature and came out with a report last year that, um, that a meat-based diet 
significantly increases the risk of colon cancer as well as other cancers. Mm. So there are lots of things that people, you know, what you eat is a personal decision. Part of, I'm not telling anybody what to do here because part of what I learned is that even more than being healthy, people want to feel free and in control. And as soon as I tell somebody, you know, eat this, don't eat that, do this, don't do that, they immediately want to do the opposite. I have an 18-year-old son, and if I tell him something's dangerous, that just makes it cool. You know, that's why motorcycles are cool, because they're dangerous, you know. So this goes back to the first dietary intervention when God said, don't eat the apple, you know, and that was God talking. That didn't go so well. So to me, the message is, look, I'm just here to say, don't shoot the messenger. If you want to eat meat, eat meat. But don't tell yourself it's a health food. It's not. If you want to eat it on occasion, it's probably not that big a deal if you don't already have a chronic disease. But if you eat it all the time, you're just setting yourself up. And the studies are very clear that you're much more likely to get sick and feel bad and smell bad and taste bad and look bad. And, yeah. you know, if, 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 if eating meat is so important to you that that's what you want to do, then, then go for it. But, you know, that's not a healthy choice for most people. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a very conscious choice and it's a personal choice. And, you know, you have to be the own um, starter or motivation behind anything you do in life. So I think, you know, finding that information out and giving things a go yourself um, is the catalyst for making it work. But the key is to is to understand that it's not about giving up something you enjoy today so you can get, you know, live to be eighty six instead of eighty five. That doesn't really motivate most people. It's about within hours you're you you know, you, you feel and you look feel. and taste and smell yeah. and, and, and everything is better. And you know, there's also there's another thing, you know, you can say, Well, I'm choosing if you say, Oh, you can't have this, then you feel deprived. Yeah. If you say, I'm choosing not to eat certain foods and choosing to eat other ones because what I gain is so much more than what I give up, that's a sustainable motivation. Mm. Or I'm choosing to, to eat these foods because I want to live I – mean, I often ask people, you know, why do you want to live longer? You know, I live in San Francisco near Silicon Valley. There's this kind of pervasive belief that everybody wants to live longer. But, you know, a lot of people are depressed. And, uh, you know, we found that depression scores are cut in half when people uh, eat and live this way. It works better than antidepressants like Prozac in, 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 in most people. And just the act of choosing not to do something that you otherwise can do makes those choices meaningful. You know, I was suicidally depressed when I was in college. That's one of the reasons I got interested in doing this at such a young age because it really turned it around for me. Yeah. And, you know, telling somebody who's lonely and depressed that they're going to live longer if they just change their diet or quit smoking or whatever, they'll say, look, you don't get it. I've got 20 friends in this pack of cigarettes and they're always there for me and nobody else is, you know, or food uh, fills that void or fat coats my nerves and numbs the pain or alcohol or drugs or opioids numb the pain or working all the time or video games numb the pain. And so I've learned that information is important, but it's not usually sufficient. We have to work at a deeper level. I mean, everyone who smokes knows it's not bad, that it's bad for them, but so a lot of people do. Hmm. And even on, a, even on a sexual level, you know, like if you choose to be in a committed monogamous relationship, is that like the ball and chain? Well, it can be. But it also can be like my wife and I have been in a committed relationship now for many, many years because we find that you can only be intimate to the degree that you can open your heart and be emotionally uh, vulnerable to somebody. And you can only do that to the degree you feel safe. So when you're totally committed to someone, you can progressively open your heart more and more to that person, like layers of an onion. And the more intimate it is, the more erotic it becomes. And so Mm -hmm. instead of having the same kind of sexual experience with different people, not that there's anything wrong with that. But I've just found that having these most intensely erotic experiences with the same person that are infinitely variable and way beyond in pleasure anything that I ever experienced before, then you, again, you come back to, well, what I gain is so much more than what I give up. These choices, by choosing not to do certain things, imbue them with meaning. And if they're meaningful, then they're pleasurable and they're sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, so plant-based diet, 
Um, and again, you know, read read the book and, and pick up more from that. Talk to us a little about a little bit about the other few points there. Um, and the first one I want to touch on is is just more movement in our lives. What are your thoughts on how to make that simple for someone um, and to implement in their day to day practice? Well, it comes down to this: if you like it, you'll do it. So yeah. do what you like. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I don't like running because running was always a punishment when I was a kid, you know, the, the go, go take a lap, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, I just getting a portable phone and walking around the office when I talk, um, or, uh, you know, taking the stairs, you know, some, sometimes if you don't have heart disease, uh, just intense short bursts of energy running up the stairs, a couple flights can give you the benefits of a of a much longer, but less intense, uh, workout. I used to get, frustrated and stressed when I couldn't find a parking place near the gym. And I thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know? So now I deliberately park farther away, which makes it easier to find a spot. And then I don't have to you know, get stressed out about it. Yeah. So, it's, so do find something you like and, and do it. Uh, and, I think the and, point again, there is too, is, is try and look for ways that you can incorporate movement in your day-to-day activities rather than just sitting down all the time or, or driving in the car to go somewhere you know, when you could walk. Um, you know, walking up the stairs rather than taking the elevator, those sort of simple behaviors and the changes. Exactly. Can, and then if you incorporate it in your one. daily, then you don't feel like you're, you're, you have to find time for it because you're already spending that time. And, you know, just sitting turns out to be the new smoking. You know, just sitting for more than an hour at a time increases your risk significantly. So just nothing more than just getting up from your desk, set your alarm on your uh, iPhone or your watch or whatever every 30 minutes just to get up and walk around and sit back down again. You know, something as simple as that can make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. So move a little bit more. Um, is there too much movement? Like uh, I'm doing a lot of training at the moment. Um, I'm not a high endurance athlete or anything, but I, I do certainly have this ambition at the moment to do a triathlon. Um, is there too much movement that can be detrimental? I think you can do too much. In fact, some studies show that uh, triathletes uh, have some significant health issues at the end of the race. But I admire you for doing that. I think it's for something you do not on a regular basis, but on occasional. It's you know I think it can be a really powerful thing. But the thing that I want your listeners to understand is that modern exercise gives you huge amounts of benefits. You don't have to be a triathlete. You don't have to run even five miles three times a week. If just walking 20 or 30 minutes a day mm. gives you most of the health benefits of more intensive exercise without the, the time commitment and the risks that are involved in that. Impact, yeah. Okay. When you talk about moderate, I mean, what, is, what, is, what does that mean to you, moderate? Because, I mean, we could say, look, moderate, moderation of anything is, is okay. Some people say that and live by that. Other people disagree. What are your thoughts? Well, moderate exercise to me is like walking 20 or 30 minutes a day, you know, yeah. and, and, not in, and, that, and not even necessarily all at once or even all that fast. So a little goes a long way. More is better. Again, you can do short bursts of high-intensity exercise. That's great. Yeah. Ideally, you want to do some aerobics like walking or running, some strength training, and some stretching. But even if you can do just a little of that, you know, what, you know so often people think, well, I, I don't have time to run five miles I'm just going to roll over in bed, you know, and so that's why it's important for people to realize even just a little goes a long way. And once you do a little, then again, you start to feel better and then you start to connect the dots like, oh, when I do this, I feel good. When I don't do that or when I do that, I feel bad. So let me do more of this and less of that. And then it comes from your own experience and then it's sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's starting off small. I, I, I interviewed a guy recently on the podcast about habit changes and um, I'm actually implementing it in my, my year this year. And, you know, he says, just start with something. And he, he gave an example of a guy going to a, a swimming pool and all he had to do was get in his car, go to the swimming pool, walk in, and then that's it. Um, that was his goal. And he started doing that and then he started dipping a foot in the water and then he started jumping in and obviously it's just expanded from there. 
Um, at yep. the moment, for me, I started getting out of bed. As soon as I jump out of bed, I do some push-ups, and I started with, I think, six. I'm on 13 now, so I haven't increased it rapidly. Um, but cool, I just, that's great. I just thought I'd, I'd give it a go, and it's, it's 13. I could do more, I think, in, in that time, but I just thought I'll just give this a go and see if I can make it a habit, and it's pretty much already now something that I just automatically jump out of bed and do. Um, you see, it's like it's that it's like that old saying, "Slow but steady wins the race." And so, and it's true for other things like meditation. Sometimes I, yeah. like you, know, I lead a busy life. I don't I say I don't have time to meditate for half an hour. And then I say, "Well, do I have a minute?" And if I have to admit that I don't have a minute, then I have to admit my life is so out of balance. I'll just do yeah. a minute. Yeah, and yeah. then once you do the minute, and then you start to, it's like getting, it's the inertia of getting started. Like you're in the example of the guy at the pool. If you just do a minute, you say, oh, okay, I can do two or three. And then you, then you find that, okay, this is good. And if you do it when you first wake up, whether it's push-ups or meditation or whatever you do, then you're more likely to do it because, you know, you're not distracted by, by what happens as you go through the day. Yeah. yeah no distractions. Um, and, and meditation, I guess that's moving on to sort of stressing less is one of the practices there. Um, something I'm certainly struggling with now. I used to do it quite, um, when I was in Japan every morning, every night, at least 15 minutes, uh, at both intervals at the moment, I'm struggling to really incorporate that. And you're right. Like, you know, putting that, if you don't have 15 minutes, just do a minute. And that's what I'm trying to do, but I'm still, um, missing days. And I know meditation for me has been one thing that's been really important and beneficial in my life. So I want to do it. Um, but yes. then when I get my get into my day, I'm just like, oh, you know what? I could do it later on. I'll be in the car. I could probably do five minutes here or there. Um, and I just don't. Um, you know, what are your thoughts around, you know, creating a meditation practice and, and you know, encouraging others to, to give it a go? Well, I think the easiest thing is to set your alarm 10 minutes early because 10 minutes of meditation is worth even more than 10 minutes of sleep. So you don't feel like you're actually spending any real extra time doing it. Yeah. And in the morning when you first wake up before you have the distractions, it's more peaceful. If you can, you know, get into a habit of doing that, then what it, it what it does is that it quiets down your mind, but also it makes your fuse longer. You know, see, so often people say things to me like, you know, I used to have a short fuse and I'd explode easily, but now my fuse is longer. Things just don't bother me as much. I can yeah. get more done without getting stressed and, and sick in the process. Yeah. And world class world class athletes use meditation because at that level, it's really more of a mental game and it really gives you a competitive advantage. So whatever you do. You're going to do it better. Hmm. And it also quiets down your mind and body to experience more of an inner sense of peace and joy and well-being and to realize that's really our natural state, which is very different than what so much of our culture and particularly the advertising industry teaches, which is that we get that from outside ourselves. And then you start to say, well, okay, if only I had what I think I need to be happy and healthy, if more money, more power, more accomplishment, more beauty, whatever. If I had that, then I wouldn't feel so stressed. Then I'd be happy. And then once you set up that view of the world, however it turns out, you're generally going to feel bad because until you get it, you feel stressed. And if someone else gets it and you don't, then you feel really stressed. But even if you get it, it, it it's great for a little bit. That's what makes it seductive. But it doesn't last. It's like, now what? It doesn't really last. Or so what? Big deal. It doesn't really provide that lasting sense of meaning. And so what we try to show people in our program and in my new book and the Undo It book, and the reason I call it Undo It is that you know, we can undo or reverse a lot of these conditions, yeah. uh, is that uh, it empowers us to say, okay, I can quiet down my mind and realize that I have that already. And perhaps the ultimate irony of life, not being mindful of that, we often run after all these things thinking, oh, if only I could get these things, then I'd be happy. And in, in the process of running after these things that we think we need, we end up disturbing what we could have already if we just stop doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so true. Yeah. Uh, like, a, what does your um, daily meditation practice typically look like? 
Well, I, like I say, I get up 10 or 15 minutes early than yeah. I had, and uh, and I meditate during that time. I have a, I, I get out of bed and I kind of go into the next room so I don't disturb my wife, and uh, and I sit and I meditate, and it's a beautiful thing. It just um, you sit on the floor yeah. on the chair. I sit on a chair with a back. It just makes it easier. Uh, with my legs crossed, but you can do it any way that feels comfortable for you. And the other benefit of meditating is not only does it help you manage stress better and kind of rediscover, you know, inner sources of peace and well-being, uh, but also it helps you um, access your own inner wisdom, your own inter- intuition. You know, there, we all have this little voice that speaks very clearly but very quietly. It's the one that wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, hey, Dean, listen up, pay attention. You're not doing something that's in your best interest. And I've learned to trust that voice. It's, it gets kind of drowned out by the chatter of everyday life. Hmm. But in the morning, especially, and when you quiet it down with meditation, you can actually have a dialogue with it. And all of the, I mean, everything that I've done professionally, all the research that we've done was thought impossible before we did it. People thought it was impossible to reverse heart disease or prostate cancer or whatever. And the inspiration for that really came from listening to that little voice. And you can have a dialogue with it. And I, I've gotten in the habit of, at the end of a meditation, when my mind's fairly peaceful and I can hear that voice, to say, what am I not paying attention to that I need to listen to? And then just be quiet and you'll be amazed at the kind of information you get and how useful and powerful it can be. Yeah, yeah. And I also find in my practice, and perhaps you can um, reflect on a little bit about this, but I, um, you know, we'll, we'll meditate in the morning. That's typically when I like to do most of these things. Um, and that does get me off on the right foot. But then the day gets by, things, you know, get out of order. And sometimes, you know, I, I wish I could, and I, I could, but, I, you know, I wish I could bring meditation into later parts of my day as well so I could just refocus again and not be so distracted by everything else that's happened because it's usually when the day is coming to an end that we start to, you know, fall back and, you know, do some old behaviors that we perhaps don't want to do and, and things like that. You know, we're not as well, aware. Well, that's true. It's true, and that's why I think the other time to meditate is is uh, late in the day and even before bed, because then it kind of quiets down your mind and you sleep a lot better by by doing that. Particularly yeah. if you don't if you don't have a big meal at night, if you can make your bigger meals earlier in the day. I think about a three o'clock time. I've, I just talked to someone else yesterday, and it was, it's the time I usually feel quite lethargic and sleepy. And and you know, if I could, I'd always have a twenty minute nap at that time. Um, but you can't always, but I think that'd be a great time to, um, you know, do a five minute session or 10 minute session, uh, of meditation. Final one is love more, uh, Dean, um, quickly on that. What are your thoughts around loving more? Yeah, well, uh, that's my personal favorite, you know, and, and people say love more. What is that doing? You know, well, it turns out that of all the things we do, it may be the most important that yeah. study after study after study have shown that people who are lonely and depressed and isolated, which I think is the real epidemic in both Australia and in the U.S., yep. are, three, are, are three to ten times more likely to get sick and die prematurely from pretty much all causes when compared to those who have a strong sense of love and connection and community. And people don't realize that. And so you know, part of the value of research is to help bring these things to our awareness and yeah. to realize that the time that we spend with our friends and family and loved ones is not a luxury that you do after you've done all the important stuff, that it is the important stuff. And love more can be romantic love, but it can be, you know, have spending time with your kids or your friends or having a dog, you know, that gives you unconditional love, you know, doesn't ask you, you know, how many people are listening to your podcast or how many books you sold, you know, it's just, you come home and it loves you, you know, there's something really powerful about that. Having relationships with others. Yeah. I mean, even the word healing comes from the root to make whole, you know, yoga comes from the Sanskrit to yoke, to unite. These are really old ideas that anything that brings us together is really healing. Yeah. 
anything that kind of literally or figuratively walls people out and sees other people as being the other and fundamentally different from you uh, leads to suffering and ultimately to, to illness and premature death. Yeah, and that'll be our relationships with nature too, I think, hugely important. Um, has there been, and again, I know I'm aware of your time there, Dean, so we've got to wrap this up, but just quickly, scientific studies um, about how relationships or love you know, really do um, affect our longevity and health? Yeah, in my my new book, Undo It, I list you know hundreds of them, yeah, and um, you know, and 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 that's really, I mean, there 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 are tens of thousands of them out in the literature now. It's um, it's there's nothing that you can do that's that's more important than that, hmm. and people don't realize that. You know, there's one study showed uh, from Nicholas Christakis at Harvard that um, if your friends are obese, you're 45 percent more likely to be obese yourself. If your friends' friends are obese, you're 25 percent more. And if it's your friends' friends' friend, you're 10 percent more likely to be obese, even if you've never met them. That's how interconnected we are. And it's not just it's obesity, it's depression, it's illness, it's whatever. Um, one study showed that people who are depressed six months after a heart attack are four times more likely to be dead than those that aren't. And there's just lots and lots of studies like that. So. When you love someone else, when you forgive them, when you have compassion, when you have empathy, all those spiritual practices that you find through all throughout the world's uh, religions and spiritual practices, it frees us from our suffering as well as from them. And so the most unselfish, the most selfish thing you can do is to um, forgive and let go of suffering uh, and, and love more because that's really ultimately how we've been able to survive as a species by taking care of each other. Yeah, that's awesome. Mate, look, I'm aware of your time. I know you've got to go, um, so I'll, I'll let you go. We'll, we'll miss the uh, quick round questions today, Dean. However, enjoy your day, and thanks for coming on and sharing. I'll share the website link, guys, to Dean so you can check out his work and all these articles, etc., that he's been talking about. Also, the book link as well, so you pick up a copy of Undo It and um, have a bit more of a read and, and thoroughly dive into this topic because it's really important uh, for all of us. Thank so. you. I, I'm so grateful. And uh, just go to ornish.com. Everything on there is free. Yeah. And I'd love to come back sometime when I have more time. I'm really grateful for the amazing uh, work that you're doing to raise awareness and to help people empower themselves to, to feel good. Thank you, Dean. Yep. Cheers, mate. And we will definitely do a second round at some stage. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, guys, for listening. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwide.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.